Coopcast, episode 16, reporting from the beach. You! Hey, Rippers. Welcome to the Coopcast. If you're learning how to surf, congratulations. You've found an epic surf educational resource for your ears. Tune in as I talk with surfers of all abilities and levels of kookiness to discuss the surfing journey. Because guess what? No matter how good you are, we're all still learning. So if you've ever cooked it, or just like to laugh when other people do, stick around. This podcast is just for you. If you haven't learned by now, us surfers love to laugh when someone else cooks it. But don't panic, because we all cook it at some point. So hang on to your swimmies and get ready to learn. The Coopcast is here to lead you on your journey out of Coopton one episode at a time. And hopefully offer you some traction on this slippery slope between cookery and killing. Hey guys, I'm your host, Coach Chris, and I created the surf coaching and educational resource, The Surf Continuum, where I work personally with surfers in the water, in addition to creating some virtual content to guide you to surf better by helping you become a master of surfing fundamentals. Make sure you subscribe to the show, or at the very least, find us on Instagram at The Surf Continuum for loads of great educational surf content. Welcome to the show, Stevie White. I'm sitting here with a good friend and a fellow surfer. Uh, that white noise you hear in the background is the sound of waves crashing and the offshore breeze blowing. It's a beautiful little day here on the beach. And uh, Stevie, before I ask you my first question, can you tell me a little bit about how you learned to surf? Well, uh, when I grew up, we didn't have boogie boards. We had air mattresses. <laughs> and uh, they were the kind with the ropes on them. And you'd come down the face of the wave and you'd hit the bottom and be like a shock absorber. They'd squish in and sometimes they would have like ribs. Sometimes you'd hit so hard you'd delaminate that you'd pop the glue out and turn into a big log. <laughs> and uh, the next thing to progress from mats was to go to uh, belly boards. And so my brother and I made, we shaped our own belly boards, but we really didn't understand the technology. So we went and bought some big planks of styrofoam and shaped them with shore forms and sandpaper and stuff and uh, rasps and we put a plywood fin on them and we glassed them with fiberglass and polyester resin but we didn't know that the resin ate styrofoam so we got this big concave <laughs> we were way ahead of George Greeno and his concave right so we made these two things and they were all squishy because the, the styrofoam was a little eaten away me and my brother had these two belly boards and we had some friends who were much older than us and they they left the beach and I don't know if they were drunk or just spacey teenagers but they left the boards um, on the edge of the beach and uh, the tide came in and they started to wash away so we took the boards and surfed them all day and they never came back to the beach and that night it was sun was going down we put the boards in the dunes and we figured well somebody might steal them so we put a little sand on top of them and we put a lot of sand then we left like one penny-sized bit of fiberglass shot. <laughs> and we did came, you ever find them again? Oh, no, we came back before dawn and dug them up. We were totally stoked by this point and addicted to surfing. <laughs> we came back, and these kids were like hung over, came down to the beach about noon and said, hey, white boy, what are you doing? You stole our boys. No, we saved them. They were washing into the jetty. We'll give them back. So by that time, we'd been surfing two days in a row and we had to get boards. <laughs> we called California, got custom Hobies made. Now, I have a technical question that I don't know if anybody will be interested to hear this, but I was, I'm thinking still about how the, the resin ate away at the foam, and did the, the fiberglass go with 
the foam so that it actually still adhered and had yeah. a good seal? Oh, it did. Yeah, but it was, so it, it wasn't was, like delamming. Yeah, but it was squishy, so different parts of it were better than others. Uh -huh. Because, <laughs> you know, we weren't master shapers. There was like a, a, a slick coating on the, on the original blank, on the original. There were just straight pieces of foam. So where that had a, a hard coating, it didn't eat, eat it away. So it was not uniform, but it was very funky. You mm -hmm. know, we were teenagers. We made our own skim boards. We would use them in the surf. You know, we were kids. We would ride anything. So we got these two Hobies, and we were the White Brothers, me and my brother Sean, and Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Zay, and I'll remember his brother's name in a second. But the Zay brothers, they had one board between them. And we walked down to the first or second jetty with these boards, and they said, you got two guys on two boards, but our board is heavier than both your boards put together. Because <laughs> they were like competing with us. And like years later, I started working with Jimmy cleaning pools. He goes, you know, that board finally broke. And there was like refrigerator coils inside. <laughs> it really was heavy. <laughs> so I'm saying the equipment we had in those days was really funky. So Stevie, like in all your years of experience, all your years surfing, Stevie's actually an outstanding surfer. I actually love your surfing because it's basic, it's simple on the wave, but what you're doing to, to get on the wave in the first place is, is what I like to focus on with my teaching, is fundamentals. Good paddling technique, awesome sitting turns, timing of the wave, positioning, and when you do all of that stuff well, it's ultimately what creates that image that people want, to be able to just look so effortless and smooth and graceful in the water, and that's what you do. The thing that now, I one, try, try to explain to people about learning to catch a wave is you want to be going the speed of the wave when it gets to you. So you either want to accelerate right before it gets to you or just build up slowly to that speed. And so there's a thing called the no paddle takeoff where you just whip the board around and then rock it and your shifting of your weight catches the wave without even paddling. Right. So one day I did a no paddle takeoff and I was pretty impressed with myself. So I tried another one. So I got a second one in a row and I've never done that before. And what next wave comes I'm going to do a third one and I wiped out and I didn't do it. <laughs> So I've done two in a row, but I'm trying to get three no paddle takeoffs. Oh, don't give me that, Stevie. I've seen you do a million of them in one day. But in a row. Uh, well, so, I wasn't keeping that close attention. So one day I was surfing here, teaching all day, and I went to the point, and I went, I didn't have like a big wave board, but for some reason the swell was hitting there, and I had an 11-foot longboard. So I went out on this giant board, and I'm paddling out. And there's a thing called a uh, paddle out takeoff where you hit the wave and come around and catch it as you're paddling out. And well, surprisingly, the surf lesson students do that more often than regular surfers. Right, yeah. and whether you do it on purpose or by mistake, you always claim you meant to do it. Yeah, 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 of course. So yeah. I'm way out at the point by myself, and it's a fluke swell there, so nobody's there, no one's watching, and I, I hit the wave and get turned around, and I stand up and I go, and nobody saw it. <laughs> but I did it. Well, and now it's on record, so No, so a friend of mine, three days later, goes, were you on a giant yellow banana board like three days ago at the point? And did you do some freaky thing where you paddled into the suit? So I got credit for it three days later. I, I don't like to brag, but I broke my neck this summer. And big waves in New Jersey. And right before I did it, I got, just as my friends arrived, I got tube. And they got a bunch of pictures of me in the tube. And all they have showed me is me walking out on this pipe at uh, Spring Lake in New Jersey. I don't know if you know that spot where they, yeah. you know, and there's uh, some radar, radar stuff on the. Yeah, I don't like, know what to I want the tube ride that I broke my neck for. <laughs> like, all I got was me standing on 
on the manhole cover getting hit by a wave. And this oh, giant yeah. wave breaking right on it. So you get an idea of how big it was that day. Right, yeah. Yeah, that was a serious day. What an accident, huh? How long did it take you to recover from that? A couple months. A couple months, jeez. I'm still recovering. Still, huh? Oh, so, one of my favorite stories is when you travel around the world and you come home and get a good, a good day. Oh, yeah. So, I, I yeah. came back from Hawaii. I've been there a month. And I get to Montauk, and there's a certain spot that'll be the name secret, but you'll, you'll know what it is if you know the place. I paddle out right at the lighthouse, and I'm by myself in March. There's nobody there, and I get caught inside, and it's starting to bash me back into the rocks. And I have a big board that I can't duck dive, and I look back to see where I am because it's not good. And the rocks are like six feet from me by my feet and I'm going to die and the only thing I have going for me is that I've been paddling for a month straight in Hawaii and I'm in good shape for the middle of the winter so I go now's the time there's nobody no one to see no one to save me no one to find the skeleton inside the wetsuit till the summer like, I got to really hustle and I'm paddling for a really long you know it seemed like minutes hours days and I break through the last line of soup and I, I see clear horizon. I'm so happy and so tired. I turn around and I see the lighthouse disappearing in the distance. I'm way out to sea. Oh my and it's like now the thing that was going to kill me, the lack of it's going to kill me. <laughs> so I turn around, we call it the walk of shame. When like you get sucked around, you have right. to paddle. And uh, I have to paddle as hard as I can because it's not like a rip. It's the current going out to Block Island. And so I get on the terra firma. I'm so happy to be on the land. I have to do the walk of shame and go. And I come down the little drum hole, hobbit trail that's covered with trees. I come out and I see my spot, the left, and it's still good, but I know that the tide's coming in and I'll get sucked around again. So I, so I go to, to the other spot, the right, and I paddle out and I get a couple good waves, and all of a sudden I get this big wave, and it's wintertime, I'm wearing a hood, and something's in my vision. Though. There's a hood or kelp or a seat, something's in my way, and I realize it's the lip. I'm in this giant tube, and it's starting to shudder down on me. And it's just like closing like a photographic like, image, and I'm going to die again, <laughs> going right oh And just as, it, just as it's about to close down, it opens up, and I come out of it. And it's like the best tube I had all, you know, best tube of your life. Anything I got in Hawaii that, you know, it's like, like I'm home. Right. I almost died on the left. Right. And, I got that this, was... and it's that thing <laughs> that you realize you're going to feel it for about, a week, and you're going to remember it for about two weeks. But I can still tell the story now and get goosebumps. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like you have those days that you're never going to forget. Sure. Yeah, that actually reminds me of multiple times where I've traveled and then come back and, and actually consciously <laughs> thought to myself, that was better than any of the waves I traveled for. Like, it, it really, yeah, so. And no one believes that in New York you're going to get good waves. Yeah, we have, well, you have to be on it all the time, We have a you? friend from California who... He was my painting teacher in Santa Barbara, and he was out here for his birthday, and he got giant waves in East Hampton at the jetty on his birthday. He goes, whatever anybody tells me, I got like solid six-foot California tubes on my birthday. And it's like, Epic. I'll never forget that, you know, meeting famous artists that I just read about in books, but I got really good waves, which is even better than famous artists. That's so cool. Um... Well, now, Stevie, going back to surf education, I was wondering something. In, in all your experience as a surfer, growing up and seeing so much, and this is what I was getting at before when we got sidetracked, but, you know, you are, you've become a really proficient, effortless surfer, even though what may look so basic on the wave is actually so complex what you're doing, um, you know, to time and position for waves. 
What would you say is people's biggest issue that they need to work on? Like, what do you see the, the most common problem in beginners? And also as a teacher, well, I should Well, I'm saying, that as you and I know, that the trick is, even at our age, is to continue to improve. So of all the things that you and I can improve on, and any beginner is reading the waves. Mm. Figuring out where they're breaking, where you want to go once you're standing up. Who's Basically, if you watch the good surfers, there's a couple people who are getting all the waves. It can be crowded as heck, but there's a few people, and they know where it's coming, when to go. They got the pulse of the swell. And if you sit by them or watch them, you can see the tricks. And that's the thing. You're out there, you're in the water, you're looking for the shadow of that wave. And sometimes it shows up on an outer bar before it hits, and then, then you can be ready when it comes. So there are these telltale signs. Like sometimes it, it breaks down the beach first as the swell is coming towards you. So that's the thing. Can you read the wave before it gets to you? Can you read it while you're on it? Because, you know, like now we can see the tides dropping and it's just perfect now. And if we talk too long, it's going to suck out on the sandbar. Mm -hmm. You know, so like the next 15 minutes to half an hour is going to be the best all day till, you know, six hours from now when it's the same thing when the tide Right, but of course by then something else will change, the wind right. or the But I'm just saying, you and itself. I know that there's that moment, like these kids are skimboarding in front of us. And it's the perfect tide right on this little sandbar for right. skimboarding. Right. But I don't do that anymore because it's really hard on your body and I'm getting over a broken neck and I had a broken <laughs> back before, you know, it's like I'm getting the age where I don't skateboard anymore, I don't skateboard Jeez, anymore. I got to that age when I was 15. <laughs> right. But it's like my dad said, when your kids start quitting skateboard because their bones are getting too brittle, maybe it's a sign that you have to quit. Yeah. You know, he's like 50 years old, 40 years old, 20 years old. Wow, that was a great, I love that, Stevie, a great answer to, you know, continuing to improve and despite how you're riding the wave, to be improving your surfing in the sense of how you read the ocean. And what I liked what you said about how like seeing the swell, if it's breaking down the beach, you know, and seeing how a set's coming toward you, even though it's not necessarily outside of you, but it's like up the beach or up the point, whatever it may be. Um, would, that's that's part of not just knowing the, the wave that day, but what the swell is doing yeah. before you get to the beach. I was like in if it's a new swell coming down. I was in Hawaii and I was out like a mile or two at this spot. There was not there was no like reef or point break or jetty or anything. And this guy, who is obviously gifted in every sense of the word, his skill in surfing and his way, way of judging, he would get the wave and he would go right. And then he'd go out and get another wave and go left. And he got every set wave, it's just him and me. So, you know, I could get whatever was left over. That he didn't. And then this giant cleanup set came and he just took off in a suit. Like, grown-ups don't provide the suit, but this guy was like a massive, and he comes out of the suit in the tube, going right. You know, it's just like even the soup ride turned into a tube ride. Right, and we're right. sitting there, we hear these sirens, and it's in the spot in Hawaii where they have polo grounds and uh, gliders. And, uh, you know, we looked up and there's no polo and there's no gliders. And that man was a surfer. And he, like, he got all, like, choked up or something. <laughs> this is fucked up. He started crying because he knew something was up. Mm -hmm. You know, we went in, somebody had died. Oh there was a paddleboard. I don't get along with paddleboards, but I don't. Wish that on anyway. I didn't even see the guy, and they still cry about it. You know, I was telling a guy from uh, Hawaii who's retired from teaching. He lives here. He goes, I was out that day, and like everybody on the beach was affected by it. Yeah. You know, yeah. this little skinhead kid who was riding a shortboard. He went in and got a paddle for the new paddleboard. I go, dude, you're you're paddling a shortboard? He goes, no, I found this in the shore break. 
When we got into the beach, I go, I think that was the paddleboard is the paddle. He goes, yeah, I gave it to the family. He says, I thought I found a free paddle in there. I was like, I put the bed guy's paddle. And my friend was watching from the beach. They heard somebody died. They're all sharing binoculars. Like, is it my friend? Is it? Oh, oh is it? And it was like a 300-pound Hawaiian paddleboarder. And uh, can you imagine trying to get him in from a mile or two out to sea? Oh, my like, goodness. It just that idea. such a heroic effort. No, it's just the idea sticks in my mind. But the poor guy who did it, that's with him for the rest of his life. So when you say any session you survive is a good session, that takes on meaning, mm. different meaning. You know, I've been in Hawaii when famous guys have died, and it's like everyone goes, mm, that's heavy, you know. Somebody important or good dies, there's a pro surfer, you guys. It can happen to anybody, anytime. Right. It really, it gives you a, a humility, and it makes you realize the amount of respect you need to have for the ocean. You know, and it can happen anywhere, it doesn't have to be Hawaii. I always say to kids when I'm teaching, cover your head every time you come up. I said, I want you to be the first person to cover your head before you get hit. They go, what do you mean? I said, everybody covers their head after they've been hit. And then they laugh. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's such a simple but true lesson. You know, oh. when the kids pull up to the beach and they see it's tiny and they go, it's not big enough to surf. I said, no, there will be a wave today that scares you. Like right now you think it's too little, but we'll get out there and you're looking up at it. It's like there's always a wave that you go, oh my God. And I I always tell them when the big wave comes, you use the famous Tibetan chant. Uh, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> and then they all laugh. Anyway, Kelly Slater once said, surfing is like the mafia. Once you start, you're in for life. Was that Kelly Slater? Yeah. For some other Italian. <laughs> Uh, Stevie, what, what in, in surfing, what's your biggest fears? Breaking the neck, you know, being paralyzed, not getting a wave. <laughs> They're all the same. Yes, it was. Somebody surfing better, somebody surfing into me, me surfing into somebody else. I have a friend, I met him when I was a little kid in Florida. We went down to visit these friends of ours. The father was a doctor and he had a friend who was a doctor. and His son had polio and we were about eight. And the kid was leaning against a, a palm tree with braces on his legs. And I just felt for him, you know? And later, he ended up going to school in Santa Barbara, where I was going to school. And by then, he was a hippie, and he had a, he had a big cowboy hat. His name was Tex. And I came down, the swell was overhead, maybe double overhead. I came down this wave, and there was Tex at the bottom of the wave. And I could not go around him. I ran the guy over. Oh, my and goodness. And he like, surfed on one leg. And like his family's famous. Does he have any legs now? <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying there's nothing like running over your friend who's disabled and making him more disabled. Nothing and like running over like your friend who's disabled. His family could sue the pants, you know, it's like, oh, I just felt. <laughs> he goes, Steve, it's fine. You couldn't do any, you know, there's no way to get out. So then he becomes a surfing doctor in Hawaii. And I go visit him and he takes me to all these secret spots. He goes, if you see me on the beach, you know, and there's a Hawaiian there. don't say hi, wait until I'm alone, because I'm taking the spots that I can get killed for reasons. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. So that's the thing, you have friends for life that you've been surfing with all over the world, and you just get in the weirdest, funnest situations, whether it's surfing the ranch, or surfing Alamo, or Palama, uh, or Pipeline, or, you know, sure. Maine. I go surfing Maine on this little island by myself. And nobody surfs there except my brothers. And they don't come anymore. They live in Montana and uh, California. So I'm the only one. 
I was I was at a, a party at a, for a surf shop in Brooklyn, and I'd been talking to this guy at the shop all day. We were talking about surfing other spots. I said, well, I go to Maine every summer. He goes, really? Because my cousins uh, go to this island called Heron Island. I said, yeah, that's where I go. He goes, they couldn't possibly be the same island. I said, there's lots of Heron Islands in Maine, but this one is inner Heron Island. It's outer Heron Island. It's a uh, nature reserve. And I said, what's your cousin's last name? He goes, uh, Barker. I said, oh, they have two cottages, the Barker Cottage and the Gun Cottage. The gun cottage has a, a gun welded into the weather vane. He goes, you know my cousins? I said, yeah, his name is Steve. How can I forget Steve Barker? It's my name, too. I said, they're all, like, university-educated people. There's Basically, it was all teachers on this island because they go for the whole summer because it's so hard to get to. And uh, so whenever anybody dies or reaches puberty, he writes a, a sonnet or a, a couplet, and everything rhymes. Anyway, you know, our parents knew each other, and, you know, they're no longer alive. And, and uh, he says, i got to take a picture of you and send it to my cousin. And so he takes a picture of me. And he goes, you don't remember Steve White? He's the only surfer on the island. When you were a little kid, he was surfing before you were surfing in New Hampshire. He goes, we're friends with his sister who's a potter. We know the White Stars. <laughs> like, what are the chances that we would know the same island? Oh, wow. Did you see that little girl just skirt into that wave? From the pink board? That was the best wave of her life. Yeah. Wave of the, wave of the century. <laughs> well, Stevie, uh, if you could leave everybody one little tidbit of advice, uh, you know, on their journey surfing, whether they're beginners, intermediate, or experts, what would that advice be? Well, I think my first day and my second day, and then what I would tell everybody how to improve. The first day, we were in Florida, and we rented... Uh, boards at Canaveral Pier and my dad pushed us into waves and I got my first wave and I ran to the nose. Then my second wave the wave the board purled and the third wave my the wave the board purled and purling is when the nose goes under and the board shoots back. Anyway I did about five of these and finally the board shot back and cut a big wedge of cheese out of this guy's surfboard who was the best surfer on the beach. And know. he got us to give him, I don't know, five bucks or 50 bucks. I've never seen anyone exchange money on the beach, but we were tourists, and he got major cash out of it. Uh -huh. So we felt really terrible. And then we went to Gilgo in New York and rented boards that summer. And uh, they only had like 10 or 12 foot boards. I was all of 10 or 12 when I was a little kid. And I hit my head the first wave, I wiped that. And then the second wave, I hit my head. And then the third wave, I hit my head. And then the third, I hit my head five times in a row. I don't know how I had such good luck, but I came in and cried under my towel. And I, I remember that first wave I got before I curled. So that's it. You get one wave and you're hooked for life. I don't care how many bad waves you get after that, you keep going. <laughs> And that's what I'm going to say. No matter how badly you do, you just keep going because eventually you'll get it. And what I tell people is, of all the things you can't teach somebody is balance. And then I realized as soon as I thought that, I realized you can teach balance. You can stand on one leg while you're waiting for uh, the light to change or the elevator to come or while the, you know, the water's boiling or someone's coming out of the bathroom. And you, you stand on one leg as long as you can until you get too tired and then you switch and stand on the other leg. And the other thing I'll say in parting is watch surfing in real life and on film. Look on your phone and the surf reports, they have footage. 
watch the best people in the world because you learn subliminally from everything. Mm. And you'll watch Kelly Slater, you'll watch Laird Hamilton do stuff you're never going to be able to do. And all of a sudden, Laird Hamilton is surfing a 60 or 80 foot wave and the whole ocean collapses on his head and he moves his foot back to like cut back. And you realize, oh, I'm a two foot wave. I can change my foot position. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. If you can be aware of while you're surfing of where your feet are and move them around and try new things, the trick is to make mistakes. Screw up. Uh, you learn be willing from, to fall, I like to you know, say. You, you learn more from your white bats than you do from your good waves. The good waves fall into a pile, and the white bats you remember for the rest oh, of your I life. Oh, I love that. I'm going to use that in my classes with all my students. No, when, when... I always say you'd be willing to fall, but I love the way you said it. The, the white, you learn more from the white bats than you do from the good waves. And, and I say that all day, and they think I'm just stroking them. And then at the end of the day, I go surfing, and I wipe out, and I say I suck, and I don't deserve to be a teacher, and I go, I can't take my own advice. <laughs> I had a shrinker once said, take my advice, I'm not going to use it. <laughs> so that's the thing, to actually let the advice in is a very hard thing to do, to actually move the foot. I always say, tell the foot to move, it'll eventually move, and don't be hard on yourself. Don't listen to the prison guards, the basketball coaches, the ex-step parents, just Save your energy because you can waste a lot of energy being hard on yourself. And try to do it because you'll eventually do it. And it's such a split-second sport that you know you have to try the next time. You might not be able to fix the wipeout this time, but you'll, the next time you'll do it. Sure. That's it in a nutshell. Well, Stevie, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. It was an honor and a pleasure. And I, will and I see think you in we got to go surfing. Yeah, I, I think get, it's time. I got a new Costco last night. The only thing better than a Costco is two Costcos. <laughs> Let's go test them out.